This is the day that the Lord has made, and I will what? Rejoice and be glad in it. You're exactly right. Praise the Lord. In a world that has so much bad news, I'm glad to know that we have Jesus, who is the good news of this world. It's what gospel means. You know that, right? The good news. I'm glad for that. I grew up in a church where they didn't talk a whole lot about the good news. They just told you what you couldn't do. I'm glad as I've gotten older, I've learned what I can do. Amen? And what I have because of Jesus. So I'm thankful to see you. <clears throat> We've had uh, a few faces that I've noticed around here lately that, you know, when you see somebody come in that you don't know who it is, you, you tend to call them visitors. Uh, but then after they've been here a few times, you can't call them visitors anymore. So we just have to call them family. So it's good to have those of you who have been uh, sneaking in here the last few weeks and uh, hanging out with us. We're, th- we're just so thankful that you're here and pray that we can be a blessing to you and pray that you'll just jump in and catch a hold of the vision that God has given us for our church to reach our community and to make a difference in these last days. Amen. Let me help you celebrate for just a minute, and then I want to give you an opportunity uh, to be involved in something that, um, that I want to bring to you this morning. But I looked at the financial report uh, this week in terms of our world missions giving, and we now have officially gone over $18,000 for our project in New Zealand. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. We, uh, I talked with our missionary there, and he is getting some, um, some information together so that I can share that with you and let you know where we are there. On, it's been very difficult to interchange information because of COVID and, and, and everything that's going on. Typically, we might would go or send someone there to get boots on the ground and see it, but we just have not been able to do that for the last couple of years, and so we have to depend uh, on... Uh, on communicating with each other and and because of time zones uh, he's usually available about three o'clock in the morning and and I don't typically like to be available at three four o'clock in the morning so it's like you ask a question and you know you're not going to get an answer for another day because you have to you have to play those kinds of games Uh, but I'm so grateful and I still I really believe we our goal for this project uh, was $18,000 because you know we're we are working with other churches as well to, to raise this amount of money. So officially we've reached our goal, but I thought all along that we would at least reach 20000 And so we still have August, September, October, November, and December uh, that we can still give into this project. And now that I'm thinking about the 20000 I'm just wondering, you know, if maybe we can make 25000 I don't know. But uh, for some reason, this project has really resonated with you, and you've been giving faithfully. And you know, the interesting thing is we talk about dollars. I, I mean, I would love to have $20,000 in my personal home budget, wouldn't you, if somebody uh, provided that? Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that the majority of this money has been coming in a little at a time, $5 a week here, $10 a week there, $20, and every now and then somebody will have a little extra to give. And so it just tends to pile up, and uh, that's good news. 
And so I wanted to thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity. And you have been very, um, very, you've been a part of this and you've not given up. You've not quit. You've not made a pledge and then decided that, well, I'm not really going to do this. You have carried it out and carried it through. And so thank you. I appreciate you so much. And I believe that God is going to not only help us in New Zealand, but you know when you put seed in the ground, there is fruit that will come forth and harvest that will come forth in your own lives because you know you just can't outgive God. Amen? So I want to give you an opportunity over the next two or three weeks to, uh, to consider and pray about helping with, with a project here at home. Uh, you may have noticed this past week uh, that we have put brand new windows in the parsonage next door. Those old rotten things that were all screwed together, nailed together, and getting ready to fall out of the windows uh, have been replaced with nice, new, gas-filled windows with screens. They can actually be opened now with screens on them and all those kinds of things. And we were able to get those installed. We have a brand new gutter on the back side of the parsonage. Uh, we extended it from four inches to six inches so that you can actually walk in the back door now with it raining and not get wet. Can you say praise the Lord for that? Uh, we have replaced a door downstairs that was metal, was steel. It had rotted through. Every time it rained, water would come right into the laundry room downstairs. So that's gone. And uh, we've got several other smaller projects, but the bottom line is, and this is another great big praise the Lord, but we've been able to reach into our emergency fund that we always have, and we've been able to write the checks for this work to be done, which is now nearing almost $10,000. So can you just say praise the Lord? In 11 years that I've been here, we've never had to borrow any money at all to do any of these kinds of things. The Lord has always provided cash on hand to be able to write the checks. Now, with that said, the, the elders have asked me to come and ask you if you'd love to do it. If you've got some money burning a hole in your pocket that you just need to put somewhere, uh, we'd be more than happy to take that off of your hands so that we can put it back into our emergency fund in the event that we have other issues that come up in the future. So over the next couple of weeks, if you uh, have any questions about that, this is not your tithe. Now, please don't take your tithe and, and put it on that. That's not what tithe is for. This is just an offering, and it's optional. It's something for you to pray about. It's something for you to consider and think about. And if the Lord lays that on your heart to maybe drop in a little extra for the emergency fund, then we'll put it to good use, and then when something comes up, we'll be able to write the check. Amen? I thank you so much just for being you. I I, uh, there's a new uh, young lady that you're going to see around here in, in uh, the next upcoming weeks. <clears throat> She's all the way from eastern Kentucky, and she attends a church of God out there in, in the middle of nowhere. And she's moving to the big city of Louisville so that she can go to the U of L. And she's going to be a freshman and she's going to attend church here. So I'll introduce her to you when she gets here. I want you to be nice to her and uh, maybe help her out every now and then. Get her a hamburger occasionally. And uh, we've got some other uh, kids in our church or really young adults now that will be going to college 
And uh, I want us to bless them and, and, and be nice to them on this new journey in their life. But I was telling them about our church. I was explaining to them about how we got from where we were to where we are. And their eyes were just this big around, just could not believe all that God has done here in this location. So we're blessed today. I said all that to say that. We're blessed. God has been good to us. And God has been good to you. And I'm thankful that he has. Amen? Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to grab those and turn to Luke chapter 8 this morning. We're going to look at verses 22 through 25. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. And this miracle that we're going to talk about today is a very familiar passage of Scripture. I know that you'll, uh, you'll, when you hear the reading of it, it will click in your mind that I've heard this before. I've heard it taught about many times. There's nothing new about the miracle. Uh, but we want to kind of break it apart and see what it was that Jesus was attempting to do here in the lives of his disciples. Now, don't forget, we've been saying this every week. I say it again. When Jesus works a miracle, he always has a purpose. It's not accidental. It, do, it doesn't just happen, but he has a purpose in mind. And so we're going to talk about this today, the miracle of Jesus stilling the storm, and it's found in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Let's read. It says, And one day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. And they ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the waters? And they obey him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this blessed day that you have created for us to rejoice in. We are excited and we are anticipating a wonderful and a powerful word from you today as we look to the scripture. I pray, Lord, that you'll open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes, open our ears so that our faith can be strengthened and it will grow in confidence as we see what your hand is able to do. Lord, help me to speak effectively and let us hear with intention today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you may remember this, but back in 1976, a songwriter by the name of Gordon Lightfoot recorded a haunting ballad that was played everywhere in the United States. It was called The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. It was a story about one of the biggest ore ships that worked in the Great Lakes, in particular in Lake Superior in Michigan. This particular vessel was 729 feet in length and was the largest carrier on the Great Lakes 
from the years 1958 to 1971. It was labeled the pride of the American flag. Somebody want to burn it today, but anyway, that's what it was called then. On November 10th, 1975, the Edmund Fitzgerald was hauling a load of ore when a storm generated on Lake Superior. The waves, they said, were anywhere from 27 to 30 feet high, and the, the sea, the lake, rose behind it as the storm progressed across. Of course, during the evening hours, you know the story, the ship uh, was torn in two pieces. It, it sank. It went off the radar. It is still in Lake Superior <clears throat> with half of it looking up and half of it turned over. And so this storm is, uh, excuse me, this song was written to honor that ship and the people who were on that ship the night that they all died. So this story is, this song is a story of how our lives can change just like that. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where your life changed just like that. But that's one of the purposes of this story in Scripture and this miracle. Because it wants us to know, Scripture wants us to know, that life can change immediately. And we can go from good to bad in a moment's time. Now, this passage of Scripture is found in all three of the synoptic gospels. You may not know what a synoptic gospel is, but it basically is another way of describing Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because they are combined, they are in sync with one another in the sense that they tell the same stories, similar stories, in the same way. Now, John was a little bit different. John added some things. He took away some stories. Uh, the book of John is just different than the synoptic gospels. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all told this story about how that Jesus calmed the waves and the winds. Now, this is set on the inland sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is only five miles long and 13, or excuse me, five miles wide and 13 miles long. So it's not large. But of all the inland waters, the Sea of Galilee has a stronger record of severe storms than any other lake anywhere in the world. It's because it's built in a bowl, if you will. It's 600 feet below sea level. So if you can imagine the cold air coming down and meeting with the warm air in this bowl-like atmosphere, it is a perfect place for severe storms to find the fuel that is needed and to break out right there in that area. So we're told this story about this storm that comes on the Sea of Galilee. Now, we're told by weather specialists that inland waters tend to be the most treacherous of all waters. You would think that wouldn't be true. You'd think that if you were in the ocean or on the large bodies of water, that it would be much more dangerous. But the reality is, is that these small endless inland bodies of water have the ability to create uh, very difficult storms and situations in a big hurry. 
So as we begin, let's just nail that down. This is what this story is about. This is what's happening. Jesus was not caught unawares. He knew what could and would happen, but he put them in this situation so that he could do a work in their lives. And the work was that not everything will go as you hoped it would. Not everyone will have a life that is smooth sailing, but all of us will at one time or another have difficulty that comes into our lives. But the good news is that even when things go bad, even when the storms of life turn us upside down, when Jesus is in the boat, thank God, there is hope for each and every one of us. Amen? So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the background of the miracle. Look at verse 22. It says, Now it happened on a certain day that he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. Now, after a long day of ministry, Jesus was exhausted. Jesus was tired. He'd been fighting with religious folk all day long. Listen, isn't it tiring when you have to fight with religious folk of all people, people that ought to be on your side, and yet you find yourself having to argue and fight and contend with them? That's exactly what Jesus had been doing, and he was just tired, and he was weary. Now, let me tell you the difference between being weary and being without hope and without faith. Weary is something that happens to these natural bodies. Sometimes we just go, 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 and don't get the proper rest, and don't get the opportunity to uh, get our minds in a better place, and we just get weary from the battle. I, I kind of felt that way a little bit last night. Not because bad things had been happening, good things had been happening, but I was tired. My body was tired. I could feel my body starting to say, you better slow down a little bit and take some deep breaths because you're getting tired. I came in from outside and I was ready to go to bed, but Donna only had 10 more minutes left in the show that she was watching. So me being the good husband that I am, decided that I would give her 10 more minutes, but let me tell you something. My body was saying, if you went right now, you'd be able to sleep all night long because your body needs it. And let me tell you, when I hit the bed, I was gone. I don't even remember laying over. It was just, it's been one of those weeks where busy, busy, busy in a good way, but very busy. In this instance, Jesus was just weary. Jesus was exhausted. And so as soon as he got on the boat, he went up to the front of the boat and he laid down and he went into a deep sleep. So in obedience, the disciples decided he told us to launch the boat and go to the other side. So even though he's asleep, that's exactly what we should do. Now, when the storm began to crop up, here's what we find out. Matthew, in his gospel, uses a Greek word to describe this storm, and the Greek word is seismos. And that word seismos literally means an earthquake. 
Now, our project in New Zealand says we're stronger than an earthquake, amen? We are stronger than an earthquake. But in Matthew's eyes, this storm was so aggressive that it seemed like it might have been caused and stirred by an earthquake. Luke writes it like this. He says, the ship was full of water. How many of you know that ships don't, they don't, they don't float very well? when they are full of water. But that's how he described it. And then Mark said that the waves were beating or pounding uh, upon the ship and, and it was filling with water. So they were observing these things, obviously, at different points in the storm. And then Matthew, in his account, said the waves covered the ship. So the little ship that was in the Sea of Galilee was literally being covered by the waves that were coming against it. Now, any way you want to describe it, let me tell you, that was some kind of storm. Man, that was some kind of storm. And it was coming against them, and it looked for sure like they would not survive. And here's the bottom line. What started as a simple little trip five miles across the Sea of Galilee turned into a crisis. How many times in our lives... If we started out doing something and we thought this will be an easy process, this won't be tough at all. This won't be hard. I can do this. This won't be bad at all. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of it, what we thought was going to be great turned into a crisis. And so, that is what's happening here. Now, look at verses 23 and 24. And we'll look at the elements that are involved in the miracle. It says, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, <clears throat> and they were filling with water and were danger, and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Now, this story that we're reading about conveys another world, a different world. Do you remember when you first got married? If, if you've been married, I know we've got some single people here. Do you remember when you first got married, how everything was wonderful? I mean, everything was great. I mean, you, you just looked at each other with starry eyes, and it was just, you danced in the house all the time. I mean, you just smiled at each other. Everything was great. You felt good. I mean, you enjoyed living life together. And then you had kids, and things changed a bit. Got real busy. Can no longer look at mom the way that you once did. You couldn't call her all those sweet little names that you used to call her because you don't want the kids to hear it. So now it's just mom, and it's just dad. And things begin to change. And then you find out and you discover when you're on your own and not living in your parents' house that you actually have to, have, you have to do housework in addition to the work that you do. You, you have to mow the grass. You have to sweep the floor. You have to run those vacuum sweepers and all that. Sometimes you forget that, man, mom and dad used to do that kind of stuff when I was at school. And now I have to do that. No one else will. I reminded someone yesterday that the only reason that I had children is so they could take the, the trash out. I, I didn't need them for anything else, but if, you'll, if they'll just take the trash out, I've done good, you know? And life 
gets difficult. And it's your commitment to one another that causes you to remain in the boat with that spouse that you fell in love with. You know, it's so interesting today. We rode to work from Mount Washington to the church from Mount Washington, and I don't think we spoke three words. It was just, it was just so nice. And it was just so peaceful. <laughs> Donna didn't have to hear a thing that I was thinking. I mean, she, we were just peaceful, peaceful. And, and, you know, and then when we got here, I pointed out to her, I said, this was such a nice ride. It was so peaceful. And she said, are you saying that you didn't want to hear me speak today? You know, and it was like, no, I didn't mean that at all. It's just so nice. It was so peaceful. Sometimes our peace can change very quickly and put us in a world where the storm seems to be in control. Now, there are different times that storms come into our life. The Scripture tells us about a man named Jonah in the Old Testament who God had called to, to the ministry to go to Nineveh, and yet Jonah didn't want to do that, and so he got caught in a storm. I won't go through that today, but you can read about that and find out the kind of deep trouble that Jonah got himself into, into a storm because of his because of his rebellion. And then in Luke chapter 1, verse 20, we're told about a man by the name of Zechariah who did not believe the word from Gabriel, the angel, and because he did not believe the word that was, that was brought to him, he was struck mute and was unable to speak. He could tell jokes. He could tell anything he wanted to tell. But when he was struck mute by the angel, he couldn't speak another word until his son, John the Baptist, was born. And so it was a storm for him. Sometimes we have unconfessed sin in our lives like Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. And because of that, storms come into our lives. So the bottom line is that storms sometimes come, and I know I need to be careful using this word, but it's very appropriate for this situation. But sometimes storms begin in our lives because of our own stupidity. Is it okay to say that? Stupidity just means that we have the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom that we need to make good decisions, but we choose not to do that. And because of that, things begin to roar in our lives that would never have roared if we'd have just made a good choice. Sometimes they're caused by our own bad decisions. They may be caused by the action of someone else. Did you know that storms can come into your life and you had absolutely nothing to do with the origination of that storm? It's somebody else's fault. It was somebody else that made a bad decision. It was somebody else that put you in the situation that you are currently in. And storms begin to rise in your life, but it wasn't your fault. It was someone else's fault. And sometimes storms come into our lives and we really have no explanation at all as to why that happened. We just scratch our head and say, why? How? Where did this come from? I have no way. Now, if you're like me, I always want to know why. I always want to know where. I want to be able to find out all the underlying details so that if I need to, I can change them and fix it all. But listen, there are times in life where we just have no answers at all. We don't know why we are in the situation that we're in. And so the purpose of trials is this. It is to test and deepen our faith in God. 
James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces patience or steadfastness. So this storm was divinely appointed by God to be used as a vehicle through which he could test the faith of the disciples. Listen, without difficulties, without trials, without stresses, and even failures, we would never grow to be what the Lord wants us to become. So get ready. God will test you. He's not going to tempt you to sin, but he will test your faith to see if you are mature. No, without adversity, we would be insufferably self-centered, we would be proud, we would be one-dimensional and empty people. So faith must be tested before it can be trusted. You know, we just have to have some hard times so that we can grow up. You know, we've got to learn how to push through sometimes. Now, I, I don't want to get on one side of this argument or the other because I don't want anybody mad at me today. But it's been in the news the last few days about uh, the, the, the gymnast for the United States. And she decided to pull out of the competition because she said her mental health was not quite where she felt like it needed to be and felt like that she would be more of a burden on the team than a blessing. And so she stepped back. She's, she's received a lot of criticism from people and sports writers and coaches and things of that nature who felt like that she should push herself until she could succeed. Now listen, I, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that there are people who feel like that she needed to push herself. And they gave the example of a gymnast from many years ago. Her name is Carrie Strug. I don't know if you remember that situation or not, but several years ago, she was, she was running and she twisted her ankle on the landing and it looked like she wouldn't be able to finish the routine. But the coach encouraged her to try again and she tried it again. And you know the story. She landed it and she won the medal because of her desire to push a little bit harder. Now again, whether you're on one side or the other here makes no difference, but here's what I do believe. I do believe that there are times that we need to put our big boy pants on and we need to pull them up and cinch them tight and say, this is a tough situation, but I know that with the help of the Lord, I can overcome. If I just stay at it, if I just keep at it, I promise to serve the Lord if he would save me from my sin. I promise that I would follow him. I promise that Jesus would be the Lord of my life. But once I realize how difficult that is and how hard it can be and the level of commitment that it requires of me, you know, I've kind of decided that maybe I'll go another direction. I've decided that maybe I won't do that after all. But listen, if you're going to have success in this life in the realm of the Spirit, it's going to require men and women who allow their faith to mature through the tests and the trials that you surely will go through in this life. Don't let the enemy steal your victory. So Jesus was asleep. He was asleep on the pillow. Gordon Lightfoot, in one of his lyrics, makes this, asks this question. He says, does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes into hours? Wow, what a lyric that is. And I know the answer. 
He says, where does God go? i tell you where God goes. He goes nowhere except deeper into our spirit. He goes to those places that we're not even aware of. He brings up and causes us to deal with things that we didn't even know existed, attitudes that we had forgotten about a long time ago, uh, situations and fights that we got into a long, long time ago that need resolution by asking for forgiveness and making sure that all is under the blood. God never leaves us in the face of the storm, but he uses the storm to go way down deep into our spirit, man, so that he can deal with the things in us that need to be dealt with so that we can be victorious. That's where God goes. So now listen to the words of the disciples. In verse 25, they, they said, Lord, save us for we are perishing. Now this is a cry for help. It's a situation where, Lord, if you don't help, we're going to die. Luke says it like this, Master, Master, we are perishing. It seems to be a statement of imminent doom. Did you ever feel like that, well, this is it. Some of you who were at King's Island yesterday, going around in those corners and going down one of those rides, very possible that you may have felt like, well, this is it. My life is over. I'm going to die right here. It's all over. I'm going to go out of this world in a blaze of glory. Sometimes it feels imminent. Sometimes we feel in our emotions, I can't make it another day. I can't make it another hour. I can't make it another minute. This is it. It's all over right now. This is it. This is how I'm going out. This is what my life is going to, to end, how my life is going to end. It just feels imminent. And that's what Luke was saying. He's saying, Master, we are perishing. In other words, we are taking our final breaths right now in this sea in the middle of this storm. And I know we've all felt like that before. And then Mark says it like this in his gospel. He said, teacher, he takes a little more laid back report, uh, 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 attitude. He says, teacher, he said, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care? Where are you, Jesus? Have you ever asked that in your own mind? Where is the Lord in all of this? And we like to soften it a little bit, like he did. Teacher, do you not care? Jesus, where did you go hide? It's like playing hide and seek with your kids when they're little. They're always behind the curtain, almost always. Nine out of ten times, they're behind the curtain. Where are you? Daddy, look at for you. Where are you? And if you don't find them after a minute and you can see their feet behind the curtain, they'll say, I'm over here. Daddy. And they give you these hints. Listen, God doesn't play those games with us. God doesn't hide behind the curtain and when we can't find him, say, I'm over here. Look at the herder. 
He doesn't make us chase him down and try to find him. No, when we're in the battle that could take our lives, Jesus is right there standing beside us every moment. He does not play those childish games with us. We just have to open our eyes of faith and see him right there on the pillow in the very same circumstance that we are in because he has not left us. You see, faith was paralyzed by fear. They were afraid that all of them, including Jesus, was going to die in this storm. And here's our problem. Our problem is not the storm around us, but it is the unbelief within us. Let me say that again. Our problem is not the storm around us, but the unbelief within. Danny gave a, an example at our potluck the other day. He's talking about mowing the grass and how that he had to have a focal point down here because otherwise he just, you know, his lines on the lawnmower, they get to the left a little bit and to the right a little bit. And I, I was mowing my, my yard yesterday and I noticed that I was kind of doing the same thing. I just kind of all over the place, you know, and then, and so I said, I'm going to do like Pastor Danny does. I'm going to find me a focal point, and I'm going to center in on it, and I'm going to make straight lines, and I looked down, and there was a blackberry bush in my neighbor's yard, and I started dreaming about eating some blackberries, and I focused my eyes on that blackberry bush, and I turned around and looked when I got down there, and my line was just as straight as it had ever been before, and the only thing that changed, well, two things. I wanted some blackberries. But number two is I changed my focal point and I kept my eyes upon the prize. And listen, I want you to know we've got to get our eyes off of the storm and put our eyes on, on the Savior and know that if we will keep our eyes upon him, he will come to our aid. We often make too much of the problem and too little of God's provision. Fear maximizes the problem and maxim minimizes God's provision and his presence. Fear is forgetting who Jesus is. Can I say that again? Fear is forgetting who Jesus is. He has all authority. He has all power. He can speak the word. And just like that, situations can change because he is Jesus. You say, well, I don't know. I don't know if Jesus works that well in our world that we live in today. He has so much competition, you know. He has Joseph Smith of the Mormon church. He has Hare Krishna that he has to compete with. He has all of the, uh, the, 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 the Mormon uh, prophets and all that kind of stuff. He's got all of that that he has to combat. Listen, there's no competition between Jesus and anybody else because he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords uh, and he has all authority. It's all been given to him. The psalmist said this in chapter 107, verse 24 and 30. Prophetically, he said, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep, for he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up into the heavens. They go down into the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunk man and are at their wits end. But then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. And he calms the storm so that the waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet, so he guides them to their desired haven. 
That was written by the psalmist many, many years before this instance that we're reading about in the New Testament. So God has a track record of being faithful. He has a track record of speaking to the storm that is coming against you and bringing it under control. Aren't you glad to know that today? Now look at verse 24. It says, Then he arose, and he rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased, and there was calm. I don't know if you're one of those slow starters in the morning, or if you're one of those people that when your, your, your feet hit the ground, you're ready to go. I, I like mornings. I'm, I'm kind of a morning person, and my, I'm at my best in the morning. As the day goes on, I'm, I'm a little worse. I, you know, I just don't have the energy or the mind or whatever. But when I get up in the morning, I've got to have a plan. I need to know where I'm going. I need to know what I'm doing. I probably already decided the night before what shoes I was going to wear with what outfit and what shirt and all that kind of stuff. And I, I'm just one of those kind of guys. But sometimes we think, well, maybe Jesus being so exhausted, maybe he just kind of pulled himself up. Maybe he looked over at the disciples and said, not yet, boys. Not before coffee. I got to have a cup. I got to have something to get my blood stirring. It might take me a minute or two before I can muster up all of the spiritual energy that I know is in there, but not quite there yet. Sometimes I think that we think that because we are like that occasionally, that surely Jesus must be that way as well. Just give me a minute. Just give me a minute. I get it. I'll wrap my mind around it here in just a minute. Oh, my goodness. I went to sleep, and everything looked good. The birds were singing. The fish were jumping. Everything was wonderful. What did you boys do while I was asleep to create this kind of mess? No. He was fully aware of what was going to happen before it ever even happened. And he was fully aware of what he was going to say and what he was going to do when the time came that it needed to be done. And he got his, him, his body up off of that pillow and he stood up and he simply spoke to the winds and to the waves. And immediately the storm that was raging had to come under subjection to the voice of the one with all authority. You need to remember that when you're going through tough times. You need to remember as long as he is in my life, as long as I'm in his boat, as long as I'm in the vessel with the master, it doesn't matter what I face. I know that one word from Jesus is able to calm the entire situation. And it'll happen. So he brings a word of command and the forces of nature are subject to him. Now, I want you to notice two things about this. He speaks to the wind, and he speaks to the wave. Why? Why didn't he just get up and say, cease, stop? Do you ever be in a room with a bunch of idiots? and they, Oh, I'm sorry, a bunch of people that are just, you know, they're not acting like they should, and you just, did you ever just want to say, well, all of you, please, just shut up. Just be quiet. I've, I've had all I want. Just be quiet. But he didn't do that. He spoke to the wind and he spoke to the wave. Why? Because he needed to create calm. And if he only spoke to the wind, the wind would stop, but the waves would continue. 
because you know how nature works. The waves always smooth out after a period of time. If you've ever been out on the lake fishing and it's been real windy and the waves are rolling and the wind stops, the lake continues to roll because of nature. The Bible says he spoke to the wind, and when the wind heard the voice of the Creator, it stopped. And then he said to the waves, stop, shut up, be still, be calm. And it says that they calmed immediately. Now that, my friend, is a miracle because they listened to the voice of the Master and they calmed right now. You know, I think sometimes we think that in every situation that God is going to have to have a process that will involve time in the healing of our body or in the healing of our relationship or in our job getting better, our, our boss being nicer to us. We think, well, it's going to take time. It's just going to take time. And sometimes it does. Sometimes God works through processes. But sometimes God knows that you need something to happen right this very minute. There's no time to waste. There's not a day that, that can go by without him having to jump in uh, and create an atmosphere of peace in the situation. And that's exactly what happened happened here. Jesus got up off of that pillow, and I don't know if he went to the side of the boat or if he just stood there. I don't know if he yelled like, like somebody in a movie or whether or not he just kind of spoke under his voice. I don't really know. I wasn't there, but here's what I do know. When he spoke to the wind and he spoke to the wave, immediately those forces of nature brought themselves uh, under subjection to him. Now, I'm closing with this thought. The Bible tells us in verse 25 that they were afraid, and then it says they feared exceedingly. In chapter 4, verse 41, that's what it says, they feared exceedingly. Now, when it says they were afraid, it means, it means that they were afraid of the wind and the wave. They were terrorized by the circumstance. They got the message from the doctor, if you will, and they were, they were afraid. They got the message from the banker that you didn't have enough money to pay your mortgage, and you were terrorized. Something happened, and it brought fear. And they were terrorized by the circumstance. But then Jesus calms the circumstance. So why are they still afraid? Why are they still terrorized? Which is what the scripture says. It's because it's a different Greek word. It doesn't mean the same thing. The one means fearful. The other one means that they were respectful of the one who brought peace. They were respectful of Jesus Christ. They were terrorized in the sense that this Jesus 
can do anything. This Jesus is able to call things that are not as though they were. This Jesus is able to heal in an instant. This Jesus is able to change every situation that we face. And so their fear changed. And so that's what we have to learn how to do in our faith walk. We have to stop being afraid of the devil and start respecting the Savior. The devil can't say or do anything that would change your life, but Jesus can change your life by one word, and it will be for the better. Amen. Come help me quit if you will. And then they ask this question in verse 35, who can this be? Who can this be? They knew it was Jesus. They were beginning to believe that he was the Son of God. They were beginning to believe that he was the Messiah. But they say, who can this be? What kind of power does this man possess? And back in Psalms again, chapter 89, verses 8 and 9, the prophet says, O Lord of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. So going back to Psalms once again, the Old Testament, we, we understand then that this is not something new for Jesus. He's been doing it all the time. He's been doing it for the psalmist. He's been doing it in the Old Testament. And now he's doing it in the New Testament. So well, Jesus doesn't do that kind of thing anymore. Then what do you do with the passage of scriptures that, te- that tells us that I am the Lord thy God and I change not? What do you do with that? If he's always done it, he's going to do it for you when the occasion arises. Max Lucado several years ago wrote a book called A Gentle Thunder. Hearing God through a storm. And he wrote this little story. Let me read it to you. It says, Once there was a man who dared God to speak. Burn the bush like you did for Moses, God, and I will follow. Collapse the walls like you did for Joshua, God, I will fight. Still the waves like you did on Galilee, God, and I will listen. And so the man sat down by the bush near a wall, close to the sea, and he waited for God to speak. And God heard the man, so God answered. And he sent fire, but not for a bush, but he sent fire to the church. He brought down a wall, not a wall of brick, but he brought down a wall of sin. He stilled the storm, not of the sea, but of a soul. And then God waited for his response. And he waited. And he waited. And he waited. But because the man was looking at bushes 
staring at bricks and seas, he decided that God had done nothing at all. So finally he looked at God and he said, have you lost your power? And God looked at him and asked, have you lost your mind? I like that, don't you? Have you lost your mind of faith? Are you just carrying on in life as though faith doesn't matter at all? Are you just walking through life with a spirit of fear, knowing that God is able to bring you through any situation? I'm just as guilty as you are. My wife and I, when we took the trip a couple of weeks ago to Alabama, I was already in the car and we were already driving down the street. got my gun. Email me if you need to. I forgot my gun. I pulled over and I started to go back. She said, what are you doing? I said, I forgot my gun. She said, you think you're really going to need that? And I said, never hurts. And the point that she was trying to make is God was able to take care of you before you bought the gun. Don't you think that God's able to take care of you now that you have the gun? She didn't say that. We've been together so long that I can look to her. And it's like the words just come up out of her head. And I can read them. I went and got my gun and I put it in the car with me. I don't know if I felt any safer or not. I, I don't know what kind of peace that that thing brought to me, but you know what it did do in me? If we're not careful, we can get so dependent upon things like that. We think that we have to take care of ourselves. We think that we're responsible for our own safety. Now, don't get me wrong. I lock the doors at night when I go to bed. I shut the curtains. I make sure the doors are locked. I make sure everything's okay. But ultimately, I'm not the one in charge of my safety. The Lord is. And I always try to remind myself in the New Testament, it says, you can drink any deadly thing and it will not harm you. I think that's water. There have been times that I took a taste of something and I thought, oh dear Lord, what if that's poison? What if, what if, what if? I've I've tasted, what if that's rotten? What if that's no good? If we're not careful, we can just walk in that spirit of fear all the time. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I can do this or do that or whatever. I'm afraid. And you know the devil does not mess much with fearful people because we have created an atmosphere in our mind that cause us to be weaklings in the spirit even without 
him being involved. The devil just laughs at us because he knows he doesn't have to test you because you've already given up and given in to fear. Can I tell you, that's exactly what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples in that boat on that day. You're in my hands. I'm with you always at all times. And no matter what happens in life, no matter how quickly it may come, no matter how quickly it may turn, as long as I'm here with you, then you are safe in my hands. Will you stand with me this morning? Prayer team, will you come and position yourself for prayer this morning? Now, if you're here this morning and you're facing a situation that just turned on you, boom, and it changed your entire outlook about life. These people want to pray with you today and help you get your peace back. They want to speak peace into your lives through prayer. You say, why do I have to come up front for prayer? You don't. But here's the advantage to coming up for prayer. The Bible says, if any two agree as touching anything on earth, our Father, who is in heaven, shall do that for us. And that's what the Scripture says. So I can pray. Donna, I can pray. I pray just like you can pray. Amen? But when you pray with me and we agree in faith, guess what? The devil doesn't like that because he knows that God's going to listen and he's going to send a speedy answer to our situation. So if you're here today, and she begins to sing this little song, would you just make your way out and come down here and let's pray together. Those of you who remain at the back, if you'll just stretch your hand this direction and let's pray together as we close this morning. Go ahead and stand back.